Thanks for taking the time to listen to these recordings of our Sunday morning sermons. The Door Church is one church in two locations on mission to see lives restored with the gospel for God's glory, and we'd love to have you join us. To learn more about our gatherings in Louisville and Argyle, Texas, visit our website at thedoorchurch.net. Now, let's worship God by opening His Word. Good morning, church family. Uh, my name is Brad Larson, and I'm the campus pastor here in Argyle, if you don't know me. Uh, would love to, uh, to meet you after the gathering. I'll be out hanging out in the lobby. Uh, one minor clarification on our announcements, our snazzy video announcements. Women's uh, Bible study is actually starting September 13th, which it said. I think Sweet Jackie said tomorrow. It's not tomorrow, so don't, please don't show up. Um, grab your Bibles uh, and, and, and grab the book of Ephesians. It's a 917, page 917 on the, in the Bible underneath your seat. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. And you're probably wondering if you look at that, this is just a greeting. This is like a hello. How are you going to preach a sermon on hello, on a greeting? Um, one thing we know about Scripture is, I just was just thinking about this, and it's kind of like even just a, a small little piece of Scripture is kind of like a, an opening in a cave, and, and you can get down in there, and there's just a world of treasure and wonder. And, and that's what we have in verses 1 and 2, which may seem like an ordinary greeting, um, but there's so much there for us. So let me, let me read it, and then I'll pray. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, would you bless this word, not only to our minds that we might have changed ideas and new ways of thinking, but would you bless this word to our heart that we might lead transformed lives? I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Kayla mentioned in the announcements, we are in the book of Ephesians now, which I have been excited about, the preaching team has been excited about for some time, um, because this is a, a, a beautiful book of the Bible. It is deep, it is well-rounded, it is theological, it is practical, it is mysterious at times, and it's also very clear. It's just a, a wonderful book, and, and I'm, I'm excited about it. And it's written by, so verse 1 says, Paul. Well, who's Paul? Paul is my kind of guy. Paul is, is someone I love to learn from because Paul is an all-in type of guy. So, so Paul is, is the kind of guy who believes what he believes with extreme conviction. You, you might say he, he was an extremist, and he, and he was. And it resonates with me because I like people who believe what they believe with passion, with with power. They don't just say they believe something and live another way, but this guy, he is all in. He's got a fire in his bones. He's, he's serious about what he believes. And, and men like this, women like this, who believe what they believe with great passion, they are a great force for good or a great force for evil. And if you were to do a personality assessment on Paul in Enneagram, uh, Myers-Briggs, Strengths finders, you'd see that he groups very nicely with some people that we like to call terrorists. 
He was an extreme guy. He was a terrorist. He was. Before he was converted, he was a terrorist against the church. And so we see in Acts 9, Paul is marching to a town called Damascus so that he can grab the Christians there. He can find them and throw them in jail. And the Bible says that he's breathing threats and murder. Can you picture this guy? He's just going along, marching with a purpose, muttering to himself. You've seen people like this in traffic. The other day, Lindsay and I were stuck in traffic on the highway, and this lady would not let me in. You should let people in, by the way. In the name of Jesus, you should let people in. This lady in this kind of older car, and her, her windows were fogged up, and she just had this angry look on her face. She knew where she was going. No one was going to get in her way. Lindsay was like, I wonder how many bodies she's got in the back of that thing. But this is what Paul looks like, and he's not bluffing. He's not kidding. He's not, he's not one of those guys that just mouths off and doesn't know. He's done this before. He's going to Damascus. He's got a mission, and he means it. But then he meets Jesus. He meets Jesus on this road, or rather, Jesus meets him, and he blasts him with light, and he blinds him to where he can't even see anymore, and he's on the ground. And Paul is made a new man when he meets Jesus. He has a new name. He goes from Saul to Paul. A new life. A new mission. And this man of conviction, this extremist, becomes an extremist for a new purpose. There's some disciples that Jesus sets him with. There's a guy named Ananias. And Jesus tells Ananias, hey, I want you to to take in Paul and lay hands on him. And Ananias is like, ho, ho, that guy? Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, take him in, lay hands on him. He regains his sight, and Paul is mobilized to plant churches. And he does. And he is the foremost church planner in the history of the world. And we're here in large part because of his efforts. So he plants churches in Asia, Middle East, Europe, including a, a little town called, not really that little of a town, but a town called Ephesus, a city called Ephesus. And in order to understand our Bible, we have to understand context, the who, what, when, and where. So this is not throwaway part of your Bible or throwaway part of the sermon. We, we need to know, what are we looking at here? Who's talking to who and why? So this book of Ephesians is a letter to a, a, a group of churches in Ephesus, Smaller churches, 40 to 50 people and houses, various churches, and Paul is writing to them. It's, it's a circular letter, so it's meant to be passed along. So he's, he's really shepherding these churches. And, and Paul, while he's writing this, he's on house arrest in Rome. The Roman government is sick of Paul. They said, Paul, shut your mouth about Jesus and we'll leave you alone. No more of that Jesus talk. You're causing disruption. No more of it. And if you don't stop, there's going to be consequences. Paul's like, no, I'm good. And so Paul won't shut his mouth. And he's gotten in trouble with the authorities. And maybe some of you, you wonder, where's that line where I begin to oppose the government? where I began to stand firm and say, I'm not listening. Well, this is a line. Well, shut your mouth about Jesus. 
Paul is not willing to do that. And he, he knows a lot of these people that he's writing to, not all of them, but, but a lot of them. He spent three years in Ephesus. And it was not an easy three years. Ephesus was not a Bible Belt place, not an easy place for Paul to be. He had great opposition spiritually. It was a very spiritually alive place with, with evil, but also physical evil. He was, he was opposed by the government. He was opposed by people that did not like what, what Paul was doing. And so Ephesus is a, a sophisticated city. It's on, on the west coast of, of modern-day Turkey. There were all kinds of people there, rich, poor, middle class. And there was this temple, the temple of Artemis. It was this huge temple, a wonder of the world. And Artemis was this Greek pagan god that, that was just made up, and these people worshipped at this temple. So, so Paul is there for three years, and he's preaching to two kinds of people. He's preaching to church folk. These are people that are willing to come to church. These are people who are, are claiming the name of Christ, but some of them don't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. So they're coming, they're, they're doing the religious activities, but a lot of them are, are unconverted, converted people. So Paul feels called, compelled by God to convert the converted. And I want you to know that's our heart here at TDC. Some of you are, are church folk, and you grew up in church, and if I, if I were to ask you if, if you're a Christian, you'd say, well, you, yeah, yeah, I grew up in church. Church folk who, who don't know Jesus. Church folk need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's preaching to church folk, people that say, I, I called myself a Christian before I met Jesus. He's also talking to unchurched people, people that would not set foot in a church. And so he preaches in this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. It's like a community center. So that the, the, the philosophers and the prostitutes and the magicians and people will just come in and listen. And so he's preaching to these people and he's telling them about Jesus. And he made a, a tremendous ruckus in Ephesus. There's a guy named Demetrius small business owner, and he sold these little silver trinkets uh, that were shrines to the temple of Artemis. He made a lot of money by telling people, you need to buy this thing if you want to be right with Artemis. And so people are buying these things, but then Paul comes and he says, you don't have to buy your way to God. You don't have to, to earn your way to God. God is not a fickle, random creation of human hands. He says, God's made by human hands are not God's. Let me introduce you to the risen Christ. And he begins preaching the gospel to these people. And they're transformed. And they quit buying these stupid trinkets. And they put Demetrius out of business. And he's so frustrated because demand has dried up. Because these people now desire Christ and not trinkets. And so there's a riot that happens. And these people, they just... Some people are coming to the Lord and they praise God for Paul. Many people hate Paul in Ephesus. So there's a mix. But this heart change, this Demetrius situation, I don't know about you, it gives me great confidence and great courage that, that you preach the gospel. We preach the gospel in Argyle, North Lake, Justin, Lantano, Louisville. We preach the gospel and hearts change. 
And when hearts change, lives change. And when lives change, the world changes. Paul made a ruckus there. Would we make a ruckus here, church family, by preaching Christ, by holding him up? And in many ways, Ephesus is like Argyle. Educated, capitalistic, materialistic, athletic. They love sports. They had a 20,000-person stadium, four times bigger than Eagle Stadium. So this letter very well could have been written to the saints who are faithful in Argyle. So this is Paul's letter to them. It's Paul's letter to us. Verse 1, it says that Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so he's a blessed and highly favored man, meets Jesus. He's set aside for the work of the gospel. Special, wouldn't you agree? So he's blessed, but probably not in the way that you think. So what does it mean to you when you hear that someone is blessed? Oh, she's, she's really blessed. Is it, is it comfort? Is it status? Is it popularity? Health? What is it that makes someone blessed? Well, God's definition is much different and bigger, more comprehensive than ours. God's definition of being blessed and highly favored includes suffering, and that's good news. I could sit here, we could sit here and and preach that, that God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy and comfortable. And those are blessings. If you have stuff and money and, and, a happy, and a healthy family and people, those are blessings. But the elephant in the room is their suffering. What do you do with that? Is God punishing you? What does it mean? You see, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, he is a blessed man. He's received grace. He was a terrorist marching to go persecute more Christians, and Jesus meets him on the road. And what should Jesus have done to Paul? What did Paul deserve? He struck dead. He's a murderer, a psycho. Jesus gives him grace. He stops him dead in his tracks, and instead of overwhelming him with wrath, he overwhelms him with grace. Paul is a blessed man, and he's set aside for the work of the gospel. That's what it means to be an apostle. And so would would you want this honor? If God came to you, if Jesus, the risen Lord, came to you and said, I'm going to set you aside for a special work in the gospel to make you a tool in my hands. Would you want this? Well, let's see what that entailed for Paul. Acts 9, verses 15 and 16 will be on the screen. This is Jesus talking to Ananias, the guy who who grabs a hold of Paul and kind of gets him mobilized. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Stop there, Mark. That sounds pretty good. Verse 16, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God's plan for Paul, suffer for the glory of God. 
highly favored, blessed man. He would be beaten, he would be jailed, he would be shipwrecked, he would be falsely tried, and eventually he would be martyred for the faith. He would be killed for the faith. The blessed man. I want you to picture Paul. What what does a blessed person look like? They look good, the skin look good, nice clothes. And you might see Paul in paintings and He's got a nicely groomed beard and a nice haircut and some expensive-looking robes. He's chained to a Roman soldier. By the way, I want you to just imagine that guy. Like, that guy became a Christ follower, did he not? He's like, hey, hey, can I go to the restroom? The guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, hey, speaking of rest, there's rest in Christ. Or he's like, hey, can I, can I stretch my legs a little bit? And the guy's like, yeah, okay, let's walk around a little bit. And he's like, hey, you know that, that the sovereign plan of God stretches out into eternity for you. Don't you know that guy became a Christ follower? But he's chained to this guy, and he probably looked terrible. Scarred up, weathered, bags under his eyes. He's exhausted. He does not look good. He's blessed. He's in jail for Jesus, and he's blessed his commissioning didn't include season tickets, nice clothes, or a platform. He's blessed. And Jesus is consistent with this message. Matthew 16 says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Lose your life for Christ's sake. Paul lost his life, his old way of living, gone. Carried his cross for Christ's sake. This is what it means to be blessed, church family. Not just comfiness, but a mission. And so when we think of of coming to Jesus, I think a lot of us think, well, he's going to solve my problems. My marriage is jacked up. Jesus, help me with my marriage. My finances are a mess. Jesus, help me with my finances. He may help you with those things. There's wisdom of God throughout this book that will help you with marriage and finances. And by the Spirit of God, he he will apply that. And it does create life change. That's not how it works that we just bolt Jesus on to the good life. No, he gives us a painfully glorious, purposeful mission for living. A reason to be alive. We have this so wrong in affluent America. I have this so wrong. Because when Jesus calls me to something costly and messy and complicated, I want to do a cost-benefit analysis. My economics degree comes in, and I'm like, well, okay, so if I serve them, I'm going to be tied to them, or if I give this much, that's going to hurt, can't do this, and I start doing this cost-benefit analysis. That is not the way of Jesus. But when we start to hurt just a little bit, we freak out. If you even threaten our religious freedom, we wail as if this has not been the history of the church since the beginning of time. Persecution and struggle 
I'm not saying don't fight for religious freedom. I'm saying be a little bit thicker skinned because this is the way of Christ is to suffer for the namesake. We just want to bolt him on, not lay our lives down. And so you, you serve without a cost-benefit analysis. You lay your life down, as Jesus did, without a cost-benefit analysis, not to try to prove that you're great, but because you've tasted Jesus. You've tasted grace. And so Jesus doesn't just tell you what to do. Do this, do that, do this, do that. This is not a book of rules. No, Jesus tells you who you are. And who you are informs what you do, does it not? And your sense of self, your your identity, it, it determines your trajectory. And Paul starts in this book of Ephesians, the first three chapters. He's going to tell us who we are before he gets to the practical stuff. What are you living for? What is your heart aimed at? Well, how do you know, Brad? What consumes your thought life when you have a moment? Where's your time spent? Where's your money spent? Where is your heart aimed? That will tell you everything about your identity. Is the aim of your heart. And so in in verse 2, Paul speaks a blessing over the Ephesians. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the benefits of knowing Jesus. And he speaks it over them. Grace and peace to you. He wants the Ephesians to experience grace, the unmerited favor, unearned blessing, undeserved riches of knowing Jesus. The the rivers of living water, the Bible says, that come from knowing Christ. And it's not free, but it's purchased by Christ. And so if we are in Christ, we have the benefits of Christ. John MacArthur says it like this. If you're in Christ, then Christ's riches are your riches. His resources are your resources. His righteousness is your righteousness. His power is your power. His position is our position. And where he is, we are. And what he has, we have. Praise God. This grace, it breeds humility because we're heirs, not earners. It breeds gratitude. I can't believe, God, that you would do that for me. And it brings joy because if you you remember this, if you actually sit in grace, be a joyful person, a hopeful person, flooded by the grace of Christ. And we don't deserve any of it, but Jesus gives his entire heart to us. In a little bit, we're going to take communion and we're going to remember what Jesus has done. We're going to remember the cost of grace. We're going to remember how much he loves sinners like us.
and grace will change you. How, how has grace changed you? Have you experienced the grace of Jesus Christ? Have you? And if you have, how has it changed you? How has it transformed you? Jesus makes new people. Have you been transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ? It, it changed Paul. He also wants them to experience peace, which, which I think of as, as the outcome, the feeling of being a grace person. The, the peace that comes from being a grace person. You could say how grace feels. It feels peaceful when you know that the God of the universe, the creator of all of you and all of this, came down, put on flesh, and died for you because he loves you so much. And not only that, he conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave, and his spirit came to live in those who have faith in Jesus. And now, as Kisto said, and as we sung, the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. There's peace from knowing that. Peace is not the absence of hardship. It's knowing that God is with you in all of it. By the will of God, Paul suffered. Was God absent from that? He was right there with him. And so, it was, Paul's, it was God's will for Paul to suffer. And Paul was good with this. We see in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul has this thorn in his flesh. So in addition to the persecution that he's got, he's got this thorn in his flesh. And people argue about what it was. But it was a hardship. It might have been depression. It might have been a physical ailment. Paul is saying this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Here it is. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because that suffering can crush us into Christ. Paul tells the Philippians, he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I got Jesus. If I die, I got Jesus. I'm good either way. That makes a bulletproof person, an indestructible person. Kill me, I'll go to be with Jesus. But if I live, I will live by the power of the Lord who's working in me. And Jesus is everything that we're aiming at. The love that we so badly crave, the affirmation that we so badly crave and we act out in various ways, the longevity that we work out for and eat right for, all of those, Jesus is everything. And if you have everything and your everything cannot be taken from you, then everything else can and you still have everything. You take my money, 
I'm an heir of God with a room reserved for me in the Father's house. I have treasure in heaven which you cannot take. Take my reputation. I'm affirmed by the God of the universe. And I know what he thinks of me because of Jesus. Take my health. Maybe you're scared right now. Your health. There's a resurrection body coming for you in eternal life if you are in Christ. You have nothing to fear. Nothing. And so suffering does hurt. Paul Paul is pleading with the Lord. He's like, take this suffering from me. That's okay. Because pain does hurt. God doesn't ask you to check your emotions or put on a happy face or lie about it. Suffering is, is real and it hurts. There's times when you'll tremble in pain. You'll weep with grief. This is life. God doesn't say stop that, but he enters into it with grace and with peace. And God had a plan for Paul's life. It was a beautiful plan. He has a plan for your life. It's a beautiful plan. It may hurt, but that pain is a delivery mechanism to bring you closer to Jesus. It is not arbitrary. It is not punitive if you are in Christ. You've got to know this. Jesus says this in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. I want you to receive this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. The the world can take away what the world gives. Then he says this, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Paul says grace and peace to the Ephesians, this is not a sweet wish. It's not a hope. It's a reminder of promise from God. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. You can have this peace. You receive it by faith. And you can be used by God no matter where you're at, no matter how far you get down to rock bottom, you can be used and it is God's will for you to be used in your suffering for the glory of Jesus Christ. So you have a mission in your pain. You have a purpose in your pain. And so maybe that's you and you came in here and you limped and you're exhausted and you're so busy you don't even know what tomorrow brings or you're so stressed or maybe you, you came in, in the car like a lot of people do and you, you fight and then you get here and you act right like, like you weren't just fighting. But maybe you came in here and you're exhausted and you're hurting Jesus knows. He knows. And he cares. And you can have grace and peace. And you may not feel blessed. If you are in Christ, you are blessed immeasurably. And the Spirit of God lives within you, and he will testify to the things that are true and remind you of this hope.
So don't think of blessed as being circumstantially rich. Being blessed is knowing the blessor. So I'll end the way that Paul begins, and I just want you to receive this, not as wishful thinking, but as something that is promised to you in Christ. I want you to receive this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. Would you pray with me? Oh, Jesus, just peering into the word, we see a world of riches, a world of glory. We cannot mind the depths of your glory, Lord. How wonderful that grace and peace are offered to us this morning. How wonderful that Jesus, you promise us peace no matter what. That Paul, your will for him was to suffer for your name and it was worth it to him to live as Christ, to die as gain, he said. And he meant it. May we mean that. May we be as bold as Paul to tell others about this great news. May there be a ruckus made in this town because your good news, Jesus, your saving good news, the gospel disrupts. Remind us of the grace and peace that we're afforded. Remind us of this, God. As we take the, the cup, the the broken body and the shed blood that, that is represented by the, the, the bread and the juice, would, would our hearts be tuned to that joy that comes from knowing you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.